Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Look at us. Look at us at church on the morning of New Year's Day. Honestly, I had no idea what to expect. <laughs> I'm so glad you guys are here um, to kick off 2023 um, in the house of God. I'd love to see it. Uh, well, if we don't know each other, my name is Rolando Alviar. I'm the worship experience director here at the Story Church. Hello to everyone joining us online as well. Really quickly, before we get into uh, the message, I just want to thank all of our volunteers, everyone who's here now, um, you know, serving on New Year's Day, but also everyone who helped out tremendously during our Christmas Eve services. We had five here in the museum district. It was an absolutely amazing time, um, but there was a lot to get done. There was a lot happening, and we would not have survived without our faithful volunteers. So just thank you so much. Um, also to everyone who volunteered during 2022, our first year here in the Museum District campus. You guys make Sundays happen for us. So just thank you so much uh, for being so generous with your time. We love you and we appreciate you. So I hope you guys also had a great Christmas. We're coming off of celebrating the birth of Jesus. We celebrated hope and salvation coming into this world in the form of God in the flesh, and we're all pretty familiar with the birth story, right? Jesus, born in Bethlehem in a manger to the Virgin Mary and her husband, Joseph. And as much as we're familiar with the birth story, we don't know too much about his childhood, about Jesus's childhood. We know about the three wise men, even though what a lot of us think we know about that story isn't really biblical. It's mostly traditional, right? It's assumed that there were three wise men uh, because there were three gifts that were brought to Jesus, gold, incense, and myrrh. But the Bible never explicitly says, says three wise men. It says magi or noble astrologers. There could have been many more, 20 for all we know. And they didn't visit Jesus in the manger like we so often see in the nativity scenes, right? They visited him much later. The, the journey for these magi to go see Jesus was close to a thousand miles. And in that day and age, it would have taken a really long time. So Jesus was most likely a toddler when the magi visited him in his home. But today, as we continue our current sermon series, a physician of the facts, and began volume two of the series, I want to talk about a time in Jesus' life that occurred several years after this visit from the wise men when Jesus was still a child. Um, this is a story that's found in Luke chapter two. It's often overlooked, but I believe it's incredibly profound, and I'd love for us to read it. It's, it's a story of Jesus at the temple. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to Luke 2, verses 41 to 46. That's where we'll be today. So every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, 
they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. So let me break this down for y'all because if this is your first time reading this story, you guys are probably like, wait, they lost Jesus, the son of God, for three days. <laughs> but it was really due to innocent assumption, not due to negligence. Let me explain. So the Passover is a great Jewish tradition um, that is celebrated every year to commemorate the freeing of the ancient Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Okay, so every year, Jesus and his family and friends, many others, they would make this journey over to Jerusalem. And this was a long journey. It took about four to seven days to get to Jerusalem and vice versa. And it was the custom um, at the time to travel in groups or what we know as caravans, okay? In today's day and age, it would be like traveling in a 15-passenger van <laughs> to get somewhere. But they would travel in caravans basically to protect each other from robbers, okay? And they, they traveled um, where basically the, the children and the women went ahead of the men and the men traveled in their own group. So they traveled separately, but together. It would kind of be like this day and age, 15 passenger vans, trying to get to one place intact without cell phones, without Google Maps, any of that. Okay, so that's kind of what we're dealing with here. And I think the men traveled in the back to protect the women and the children from anyone sneaking up from behind them, any robbers or any potential threat. Okay, so Jesus is 12 here. Now, for us, that's really young, right? And by today's standards, that's still a child. But remember, times were very, very different back then. Mary had Jesus when she was 14. 13 was considered the adult age. Pretty crazy, right? But because Jesus was technically a child, he was allowed to travel with the women and children. But because he was so close to becoming a man, to becoming an adult, he was also allowed to travel with the men. So when they pick up their things and they start heading back and leave Jerusalem, Mary looks at her group, doesn't see Jesus, and say, oh, he's with Joseph. And Joseph didn't see Jesus and said, oh, he's with Mary, okay? So this is what let them leave. This is, this is the assumption they made. They left um, and didn't notice Jesus was without them until 24 hours later, all right? Now, this is where we pick up again on verse 46. So after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So the temple court was a place that was reserved for the religious elites. 
the best and brightest rabbis and priests would gather there to discuss God's word. And here we have 12-year-old Jesus sitting among them, learning, asking them questions, just soaking all this up. Then Mary and Joseph show up. And you get a really cool picture of the family dynamic here, right? Mary, a loving and worrying mother, lashes out at Jesus. She asks, why have you treated us like this? I mean, I can't imagine what it's like to lose a son of God, right? <laughs> can't imagine the heaviness in her heart. And Joseph, he doesn't say a word. There's actually no biblical record of any word spoken by Joseph. So I could picture Joseph as this strong, but humble, reserved, quiet man. I can also picture him being really proud of his boy. Here he is showing up to the temple courts, maybe feeling out of place, like, oh man, this is a place for the elites. And he sees Jesus at 12 years old, just flooring people with his questions and his responses. I have to believe that Joseph saw that, just kind of took a step back and said, yeah, that's my boy. Well, kind of, right? Because technically God is Jesus' father, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean? He was a proud stepdad, all right? But what Jesus said next in response to Mary really got me because of how it stirred some things up in me. It really spoke to me. Jesus asked, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I'd be in my father's house? Of course, Jesus, in his wisdom, didn't expect for his parents, his earthly parents, to not go looking for him if he got lost. He's more so asking, why didn't you know where to look? If you know me, you know where to find me. And this made me ask myself, how or where would my close friends and family find me if I were lost? Not physically, but spiritually or emotionally. Where would your close friends and family think to look for you when you lose your sense of security because of a job loss, when you lose hope because of a medical diagnosis, when you lose trust in God because you haven't heard his voice, when you lose compassion because of hurt? Where, where could people find you? Where will they find you? I pray that our answer will be on our knees in the presence of the Father, following the example that Jesus set before us. It's important to note that Jesus here wasn't walking in his calling yet. He's in this season of preparation. Jesus' ministry didn't begin until after he was baptized by John the Baptist when he was around 30 years old. So this is 18 years. There's a gap here. There's no, there's no biblical record of Jesus' life for 18 years. 
So we're talking about Jesus for 18 years, living just like you and me. Yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully human with human limitations. And as a kid, he was probably an outcast because of his advanced wisdom, right? In Sunday Bible school, everyone's reading from the VeggieTales Bible and he's reading King James Version, okay? <laughs> he was probably very misunderstood. And he went through puberty. He was a teen. He grew up, worked in the family business, did everything he could to provide for his family. He lived a relatively normal human life. We, the church, spend about 98% of our time focusing on the final three years of Jesus' life. But what about the rest? What about the rest? This was a long time of preparation. And I think that we so often resist those seasons where God is really just calling us to be still, to grow, to learn, to mature. And the reason we could resist these seasons is because we get impatient. We want things to happen on our timeline. We want things to happen now. And we resist these seasons. Now, these seasons of wait can also cause depression or bitterness in some of us. We can so easily find ourselves feeling completely useless and wondering if God has a plan for us at all. But listen to this. This is Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has prepared something for you. God has a plan for your life. And if you truly believe that, then where must you be? Jesus said, didn't you know? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? And he was there for 18 years demonstrating the maturity that preparation requires. He spent many years living obediently before he had to be, before life got really hard. And that's why when they came for him, when they arrested him, when they beat and crucified him, he was prepared to be obedient and to rise to the occasion. The problem with us sometimes is that we want the glory that comes at the end of a great story, but very few of us are willing to do the work year after year of everyday mundane obedience. But that's where God prepares you for that next season of your life, for that big decision. That's when God prepares you to tackle any circumstance that comes your way when you're tempted or when crisis comes knocking. So again, I ask you, if you believe in God's plan and purpose for your life, where must you be? Jesus would say in the presence of my father. My wife and I are currently um, in a season of preparation ourselves 
For those of you who don't know, um, we're expecting a baby boy in March, and it's coming way too fast. <laughs> Thank you. I got a little girl clapping over there. She's really excited. Oh. Um, but so we're having a baby boy expected in March. Today, she's 28 weeks, so seven months, if you're doing the, the math in your head. I find often it's, it's very nice to translate that for people <laughs> into months. <laughs> seven months, she's entering her third trimester, and man, every kick, every punch is absolutely exhilarating. We could be in the middle of a really intense show or a movie or a football game, whatever. But man, when, when our baby starts moving, everything, and I mean everything, gets put on hold and all eyes and hands are glued to that belly. It's such an exciting time. And, and the ultrasounds, oh my gosh, every ultrasound appointment is just rocking our world. The, the technology that we have nowadays, like the imaging that we have in this day and age, is breathtaking. I mean, you can see every organ, you can see every bone. They show you what your baby looks like before it even comes out. It's, it's crazy. Again, it's exciting, it's nerve-wracking, it's all the things, and we're doing everything we can to be prepared. But recently, the Holy Spirit kind of slapped me in the face, Will Smith style. <laughs> and listen, when you're entering a new season in your life, whether that's going to college, switching careers, moving to a new city, getting married, or for, you know, in our case, having a baby, what do you do? You read and you research as much as you can about this next thing, right? And that's where we've been. You read books, you go on the internet, you Google everything, you're on YouTube, podcasts, you get advice from friends and family, and oh my gosh, should I even say this? TikTok apparently is very helpful, <laughs> but TikTok and other forms of social media, and that's really where we've been. That's been us pursuing all these avenues for knowledge and wisdom to be prepared for this baby. But the Holy Spirit recently convicted me and asked me in the middle of one of these online searches for what to do if baby does this, right? This Holy Spirit convicted me and asked me, how much do you trust me to prepare and equip you for this next season as a father. How much do you trust me to give you discernment in this next season? Look, I know there's gonna be times as a new father where I'm gonna feel absolutely lost and out of my element. And I pray that I may go to the Father in those situations for him to continue to fill me up with joy when I'm running on fumes, to give me the crucial spiritual needs, spiritual gifts, I'm sorry, that I'll need as a father, such as gentleness, self-control, patience,
And yes, books and family, advice, advice from friends, that's all helpful. That's all, that's all great. But it really means nothing if I'm not fully submitted to God. If I'm not trusting him to prepare me. Listen, it's the beginning of the year. It's a great time for evaluation and preparation. And you might have already filled out your list of New Year's resolutions. And I hope that you can replace the first item on that list with this. Obedience and submission to God in every season and in every situation. That when you're feeling lost and impatient, that you may go to the Father, go to the Father's house. And I'm not talking about a church. I want to make that very clear. I'm not talking about a church. Because Jesus was obedient to the Father, everyone who believes in him and what he has done for us can become little houses of God, <laughs> a little walking temple, talking temple of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.11 says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. God's spirit is in you. So going to the Father's house can be achieved wherever you are, in the car, in your house, in a waiting room, in a lobby, wherever, wherever. When you believe Christ is in you, you are his dwelling place. Being with him is as simple as focusing all of your thoughts, attention, and words towards him who's calling you his own. So you don't have to search frantically for him. Jesus is saying, if you know me, you know where to find me. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And we're so thankful for the way in which you love us. God, thank you for this new year, 2023. I declare that it's a blessed year. God, give us strength in this new year to continue to come to you, to seek you out, God. Forgive us for the ways in which we may have strayed. Forgive us for putting you on hold. Thank you for your word, this manual for life, God. Thank you for how it's still speaking to us today. Jesus, just fill us with hunger and desire to pursue you fiercely this year. Fill us up with your Holy Spirit, God. Let us be light to everyone around us, to our families, to our friends, co-workers, everywhere we may be, God. Go before us, Jesus. Thank you so much for being with us, for being in our midst. We love you and we thank you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.